0: What i've researched in the past i noticed a couple of things uh, and that kind of blows my mind when people when they're thinking asking about investing they neglect those those important items first of all major crashes lasted about a year and a half maybe close to two so when we are talking about the 2008 crash and maybe the 1927 crash they only lasted as a crash or the longest one for maybe a year and a half to two years, right? Not short, but that did not last forever. So that gives you a bit of a perspective, right? There is an end in sight, okay? That's a good thing to have when you're going through um, through a crash personally or as as an era.
1: Welcome to the Freedom Chasers Podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom Guys, it is not every day that we get to speak to a man who has done over 5,000 investing transactions for himself and his clients in 35 different markets. This is going to get a little bit wild. I mean, when you think about 5,000 transactions, it is very uncommon for people to do more than a couple transactions for the average person. So 5,000 is a humongous number. So he's going to share his knowledge, not only from his 18 years plus of investing experience, but also from a lot of the flips. And so I'm imagining with 5,000 deals under your belt, you've got a crazy story or two to tell us. So Danny, take us in. What is a crazy real estate, most crazy real estate experience you've had so far?
0: Okay, so I thought long and hard and I have many stories. And I thought, which deal is like wow, was a wow deal for me. Uh, Thanks for having me, of course, first of all. Um, Nowadays, I don't do flips anymore. I stopped doing flips maybe three, four years ago, but during, I'd say, 2010 to 2020 or 2010, 2010 to 2018, I've done multiple flips in multiple US metros, always remotely. Uh, my first flip, I'm in Southern California. Um, the first flip I'm doing is with a team that I found in Atlanta, Georgia. This is our first property at the auction. The team has a system, and process all ironed out, already done it. They're going to the auction, bidding, you know, live auction at the courthouse steps uh, on a property and they get it for $30,000 in, know, in dollar. There was a joke why the dollar is, doesn't matter. Uh, $30,000, you know, uh, we get it. On the way, the auction is over. They call me, they say, here's the address, here's the details. We are heading to the property to, to re-inspect it. They've already been through a drive through there, but they're going again to see what's going on in more details. Um, and they call the insurance agent on the way to make sure they have insurance immediately, get to the property, come to the door. There's two of them. Come to the door, knock on the door. A lady, they knew it's occupied. The lady opens up and she says, uh, and they're they, they, super nice guys, right? They come up to her and say, hey, we represent the new owner, it's been to the auction, are you aware, very respectful to her, and uh, we just wanted to introduce ourselves and see what's going on, and you're very, like, very, like, it's a person who lost her house in an auction, and they're not going to be, like, uh, in their face, on the contrary. Hmm. The lady goes and says, listen, guys, I know the house been for the auction, this was my, the house that, I live in with my spouse. My spouse uh, uh, died not too long ago. Uh, Unfortunately, I was, you know, I got to this situation, but this is my house. I love it. I work. I have, uh, I'm qualified for a mortgage and I want to buy it from you. I want to buy my house basically. And they don't even walk in. So we bought a house at the auction. We've never seen it inside. My my guys, one of them goes to her and says, listen, we're gonna step back, we're not gonna interfere, we are agents, if you want us, here's an agent that we know is not related to us, you wanna work with him, great, you have your own agent, great. you know, find the right representation, we will work with you. And they turn around and walk away, um, communication starts within 30 days, 30 days on the calendar, we close a deal for $78,000, right? We, in a house, we spent thirty thousand five hundred to purchase thirty days to you know to the date you know house that we've never been into, we've never lifted any hammer, and I was like, wow, I was blown away that you know I've done so much real estate before that. Well, and when I get to that point, I'm like, this is my first flip. I know it's abnormal, but it just tells me even when you're trying to do things very methodical and you have I don't want to say you don't necessarily have super high expectations. You just have nice expectations. It will go well. All of a sudden, this deal comes along. It like blows my mind that that is even possible. And, the, and maybe this is the best flip I've had in terms of returns. Uh, but I've probably had in my career, flipping-wise, I want to say 20 other properties, maybe 15 to 20 other properties that resemble, a, you know, situation. Uh, house at the auction that you know on a golf course in 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 you know in the Dallas metro in a really good area. We walked in after after buying it, cleaned it, put it on the market, and sold very quickly for a lot of more money. So that was that was the good old days where right after the crisis of two thousand and eight. But not all the flips
1: went well. I have horror stories with flips as well. But just to have a few of them. Before, once, yeah, before you get into those. Yeah, I wanna dive more into this. Let's talk about the human element of this a little bit. You buy this home. This gal just lost her husband, it sounds like fairly recently. Mm -hmm. There's all the the how-to questions that I have, like how can this gal qualify when her house is foreclosed, right? Obviously, maybe that's nothing's in her name, so on and so forth. But it's like, how do you navigate the fact that you've invested money, you have a real need for profit, you bought this property for profit, and yet this gal, Owned her house two days ago, but now has to buy it from you at forty eight thousand dollars more. Like, how are you handling the psychological elements of I, a widow paying forty eight thousand dollars for more for? A house? Like, how do you process all that? Okay, so first of all, when
0: we bought it, we didn't know the story, right?
1: Um, and I think that yes. if we
0: and I think that if we put it on the market and would not work with her, we would probably even get more money for the house, right? It was worth more, but that everything, all this, you know, everything was aligned well. So we don't know the story of any auction house. We do know most times if it's occupied or vacant and what's generally going on, but not if someone is occupying it, we don't know. Now, what I can tell you for doing something for 20 years, right? I started investing in 2002, started working with investors and doing it on a large scale since 2004. So since 2004, I've been doing things on a a larger scale, and I have noticed patterns of human behavior that I just couldn't understand why someone is doing it. And then I just told myself, listen, Danny, people behave in a peopleish way, right? Why would the seller put a house on the market for a certain price? You know what I see? I saw recently someone that we were trying to bid. We missed it. Unfortunately, just last week, eight townhomes in Birmingham, Alabama, right? Eight townhomes rented in good condition. The seller wants to sell all eight as a package. Matt, I'm telling you, if this guy would would be more up to it, I don't know what the reason he's doing, and it would put them one one by one and not selling it a package, he would probably get a hundred to hundred, maybe 150 to 200 thousand dollars more on the package. So he's, wow. you know, he's eliminating. You know, this is a 700 thousand dollar deal. He could have probably sold it for 850, right? Just by selling it individually. Why does he want to sell it as a package? And after seeing so many such incidents, when people behave in a peopleish way, I used to ask myself, why, why, why? I, I, I don't know. And I said, people are just like that. You know what? They have the reason. I don't ask anymore. I, le- I taught myself not to ask anymore, you know, to try and really understand their mindset. Although it's, I do ask myself, but I just let it be, right? If they want to sell it for, uh, for much less, that's their, their you know their choice. But I will tell you regarding this story, with with this house, purchased at thirty, sold at seventy-eight thousand. We have to understand. It sounds great. It is a great story. There's no doubt about it. But when buying at the auction, you know, a house has a scale of prices. Retail up here, you know, and then maybe through the, you know, like maybe a wholesale and a foreclosure, you know, the like auction and different, you know, different stages of 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 situations of selling it will reflect a different price it's the same house the only difference is the risk right how much knowledge how much information you know uh is involved it's only risk that changes the price so if she bought it for 78 i bought it a month earlier for thirty thousand. it's the same house nothing changed the only difference i took risk buying that house right if it would go to the market you know maybe not through in the foreclosure maybe someone else would pick it for 50 right or, or, or something else and then she can probably obviously she can now turn around and sell it for much more. So, the price is really at what point? They reflect what, what where, where, or when do we buy? It and what
1: is the risk involved with buying it at that point of time? You mentioned you gave up flips three to four years ago. Why? Um,
0: I came to the realization after running about one hundred flips that um, there is a major paradox that kind of uh, or conflict. On one end, the first, you know, maybe few years that I've done flipping, we would do a property, you know, we would, you know, with after everything said and done, sales, commissions, you know, financing, we would probably net anywhere from 10000 to 30000 on about a $200,000 investment, give or take, within normally six months, give or take, right? This is not bad at all, right? Especially when you recycle it. This is not bad at all. But then I, after doing so many flips, I realized that the amount of time, attention is, takes a lot of my, you know, requires a lot lot of that, a lot of my time and attention, which I'm gladly gonna do, but I'm dealing with, I'm taking a lot of risk in those types of flips. Things do not go according to the plan. Um, thing will 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 take longer. Financing costs more. Overhead expenses cost more. There may be ending up in a break even and a loss, right? So a lot of risk, a lot of time, a lot of attention, a lot of unknown. And then even when I make twenty thousand dollars, right, thirty thousand dollars, a big portion of it goes to to pay for taxes, right? So it's even you know much less than that. So all of a sudden, I'm saying the amount of effort, risk I'm taking versus the amount of I'm getting. I'm not really kind of pleased with it. I'm not saying that 15,000 or 20,000 is not worth it. It's not a little a nickel and dime. It felt that it's too much hustle and trouble and annoying. And on the top of that, it comes with a very set, specific set of people. General contractors, you know what? I've worked with on over about a about hundred flips. I've probably had my pleasure of working, quote unquote, for people in the podcast. Pleasure of working with 40, 50 general contractors, right? I have one guy. One guy out of those that I can say wow. The wow guy is not someone who underpromise and overdeliver. He did what he said he was will do, and he came back when things broke a year later and fixed it. So he only did what he's supposed to do, but you know what we expect him to do, one guy. And all the people, you know, the the notion that I can control the GC, control the labor, control the material, control the city, the permits, the inspectors gave me the realization I can't. It's an illusion that I can't. You know, you think you pay someone, it's good enough? No. You know, you think that you have multiple projects for them, they will be responsive to you better? No. Inherently, this industry has a lot of bad apples, most likely you will meet the bad apple and not the good apple. Um, that's my experience and I felt that this is too much. I don't wanna deal with it anymore. And I also realized that in order, by the way, and it even gets worse because if I wanna step away from earning $30,000 a flip to 50, 60, 70, 80, that means I need to take more complicated renovations. And the more complicated the renovation is, right? Even if the budget of renovating is is doubling up uh, compared to the simple renovations, the complexity doesn't double up, it quadruples. More people get involved, more permits, more friction. The more, the bigger the budget, the much higher the noise, the friction in the system. And every one of those little frictions or big friction can impact your bottom line by timelines, by not. So for me, I was like, you know what? i've done so well with the rentals many of them we just bought and held for many many years with so much no less noise not zero noise but in the system why why would i why would i torture myself and then uh you know i think also there's something about uh maturing i value i'm at the age that i value my piece you know things that i would have done i would have done as an investor you know in terms of handling 10 years ago I don't want to do it anymore. Why? Because I want to spend more time with my family. I want to be at the end of the day, relaxed and not be stressful of, of, is it going to show tomorrow or not going to show tomorrow? And done. I value my peace and quiet. You know, I'm not that old, but I'm matured enough to know that I give it a lot of thinking when making decisions about, uh, about you know, investment strategies or programs.
1: A lot of times investors m- want to hold they usually feel like they can't because they don't have enough capital, which is why they go into the flipping cycle. Given that you three or four years ago shifted to a holding model, is that because you had accumulated enough capital to hold? Or did you form strategic partnerships that allowed you to burr these deals and to do these strategies where you could hold them instead of flip them? So I'm the
0: I'm exactly the opposite of what you described. I have been always buying hold investor. The only reason yeah. I started Considering and putting systems to create flips, because I felt that myself and some of my bigger clients are drying up, not drying up to they would stop buying. It will just takes us. So instead of buying two houses a year long term, you know that that we can do from saving from from work or even one. If I'm doing, if I'm using the flipping as I used to call it, this is my short term engine that feeds into my long term engine. So for me, the flips yes. were always ends you know, ends to a meet with the meat is, you know, the long-term buy and hold, you know, uh, strategy. So the flips were serving a purpose. We were feeding flips into buying more rentals. That's exactly why I started flipping. So for me, I've been mostly doing, you know, I've done, as you said earlier, I've done about 90 flips in my career and I've done with my clients about 5,000-ish properties, uh, rental properties. It's disproportional, right? So, Flipping were always just a side, I don't wanna say side hustle, but the mechanism to support the main avenue of buying
1: and holding. So I never switched so back. Talk it's to always me. happening at the same time, sorry. Love it. Yeah, so you've always been a long-term hold guy, wanted to expedite how many long-term holds, and you realized the juice was not worth the squeeze. You might as well just keep doing what you're doing. Correct. So why, why have you chosen to be a long-term hold guy. This whole time, what are the benefits that you've received? So um, I don't know if you noticed that I have a very,
0: very, very you know light accent. You probably didn't even notice that I have one, <laughs> right? You didn't even notice at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. So I'm originally from Israel, and I grew up in Israel. I, you know, I, I went to the military. I sp- you know I spent three years in the Israeli Special Forces, the mandatory service. Um, and when I um, when I finished my engineering degree, post military, and started working for Israeli high tech company, it, around that time I came to the realization that something is not working with this formula of working hard at this you know Israeli high tech company. I paid I was paid well as a young engineer, but I just didn't see where is it heading. Right, those long hours and that kind of told me I have to do something about it. Like if the, the what I, what I saw in front of me is my parents, my uncles, my parents' friends, my older cousins work hard, work hard, work hard for years, for years. And what do we have to show after 15 years, 20 years? A condo with a, with a mortgage, right? That's it. And that just didn't add up. I didn't know how to tackle it. I knew that the answer or the path I'm on, I'm not okay with it. So I started looking for something else very quickly i realized that i do not have the skill i still don't by the way to do it in you know, to get rich quick I, I don't know how to do that right so i gave up, i told myself listen give up on your get rich quick kind of a dream but you don't have to give up on the dream just don't do, don't go on don't focus on the get rich quick how about getting rich slowly and that's where it put me on the path of real estate because real estate, the long term real estate rentals, fits with that purpose, that life mission, so to speak, perfectly. And if you add into that the you know the fact that I'm you know I'm an immigrant, I've been here for 20 years or, or 18 years, but you come with the fresh eyes to the US, you know people who I, I speak with here, and they grew up in the United States and they are just accustomed to what we have real estate wise for someone who comes from another country like Israel, but others. This is mind blowing. Let me tell you what I mean by mind blowing. First of all, the mortgages, right? Easier to qualify. It's never easy. Easier compared to you know to the other countries. 20% down for investor, you know, very acceptable. Not very much. 30%, you know, in other countries, right? Maybe even more. Um, 30 years fixed rate rate if you don't touch if you don't refinance don't touch your mortgage it will be that rate and that payment for life that's not what happening in other countries right I call it here there's something I call the mortgage miracle you don't have it in other countries at least in many countries so all those things that I come in and I look at is it, like oh my god they have this gift here of those special mortgages I don't have that in Israel that's amazing right and then the real estate also is so advanced here right and when i say advanced in israel i'm just using israel as example because i know that you do rentals you do commercial um you do airbnb now um and of course home ownership right that's it talk about seller financing doesn't exist talk about subject to doesn't exist second mortgage doesn't exist right um wrap wholesale you know, fl- flipping does when it kind of came, started being introduced in past maybe decade, start, people start flipping, but you have very limited, very limited real estate industry or category. Here we can slice and decide real estate, commercial, residential, self-storage. There's no self-storage in Israel, right? Uh, so all those things from, for someone who is passionate about real estate, who lives here. You are the playground, the best playground. What do you want to do? You want to do wholesaling? You want to do flipping? You want to do long-term rentals, short-term rentals? You want to do all of them? Multifamily, single-family, you know, out-of-state, in-state. Look, it's crazy. This kind of mortgage, this kind of mortgage. Unbelievable. And then also when you want to sell, you can have a different option. You can sell as seller owner, you can do rent-to-own, you can, amazing, right? So that's something that when you come from another country, you look at those options, it gives you a way to accelerate your wealth, and it actually supports you. It's like saying, "Hey, take advantage. It's in your best interest. It's, just, it's in everybody's best interest."
1: Did the Israeli Danny ever believe that what you've accomplished was possible before you came over?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: you mean, did the young me believe that? Uh... Yes, that what you've accomplished is, was possible. Like, was have you out? Have you out accomplished your dream? The the simple
0: answer is yes, by many ways. The young Danny that started investing in real estate, like really around the beginning, visioned himself one day working with investors, guiding investors, you know, helping others to do exactly the same. And I've, you know, that was my my, like speaking about it, lecturing about it. I definitely wanted to have it in my mind. I saw that. I wished that for the young Danny wished it for himself for the future. And maybe it's the power of thinking, I don't know, but it definitely, um, uh, definitely something that I was able to accomplish looking into the future and wanting to do it and doing it. When you said, when you introduced and you you said about 5,000 properties, I have to tell you that every time I hear that number, I have to go back, not every time, but sometimes I have to go back and kind of do the the counting, do the summary again. Because even for me that I know this number well, and I don't know if it's forty-eight fifty or fifty-one twenty, you know, but it's just around that. It blows my mind that the 20 years, that's the number of, of properties that I was able, I was able to help other acquire. Some of them are mine, but obviously the most are, are not mine. It blows my mind, right? That, never. I mean, that number of properties, the young Danny, yeah, maybe a hundred properties, you know, that would be the more, the most I could comprehend at that time. Yeah, to me, yeah, it always blows my
1: mind. I get, I can get, I cannot get used to this number. I want to dive into you a little bit about what you said earlier with the patterns of behavior. But before we get to that, you came to America. You had the, the language, the accent, learning about real estate investing, the whole nine. What was the hardest part of your journey to succeed at? Um... I think that um,
0: when I entered the 2008 crash, I had personally few properties. I had uh, many investors already working with, and I'm looking today the post-crash Danny and the and the before-crash Danny. It's, you know the professional Danny, the real estate investor who works with other. It's unbelievable. What a difference. The the young person, professional was very, I don't wanna say very, um, lack of a better term, superficial. I was never superficial, but compared to the detail level of today, I was superficial, right? Now it's the systems and the processes and how to analyze properties and checks and balances is so detailed in in my world to support the decision-making. So um, on one hand, the hardest, one of the hardest phases was the, the phase of going through those 2008, nine, 10 period, right? The crash was right there in the middle. Being there where young guy, the, my experience is three, four, five years. So I don't have decades of, like when I came to the COVID thing or crisis, I was more confident. I was like, I knew I something in the inside voice told me in March that I'm gonna be quiet down for a month and a half or two, and in May things will start picking up again. Why this inner voice came and said that? I cannot tell you why. I don't know, but it did. And guess what? In May things started waking up, and you know, and the business started picking up, you know, again. Like it was quiet, and then it picked up. It was never completely dormant, but it, you know, kind of kind of started picking up more. Why did I tell myself that, that, you know, that I will have two months, a month and a half of quiet time, and it will come back in May? I don't, I can't give you the answer. Just my instincts, I guess. The young guy, the 2008, didn't have that inner voice or inner confidence. Just maybe like a feeling, it's okay, we're in the U.S., but it seemed... Before the crash, when I would go into social events and I would meet new people and they were like, what do you do? I do real estate, you would see the face was like, wow, great, that's amazing. That's, you know, there was like sexiness to it. During 2008, Mm -hmm. nine, 10, when I would tell people, what do you do with the same, you know, confidence, the same love and passion, oh my God. You know, they almost sometimes feel like they were walking away. Like I would be contagious or something. So the same activity, different
1: reaction. The guy back then. Let's 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 stop on that for a hey, second. Yeah, that is so interesting because it's true. It's like there are certain industries where if you tell somebody, "I do this," they gravitate towards you because they like it. But they even within an industry, because real estate's generally, I've gotten positive reception from people. But it's the t- market cycles. It's like they don't even want to be associated with you when you're an agent in a bad market. Like, what, what was that like? What was the impact of that on you? um you know
0: i was so well well, let let me let me put it in perspective when the crash hits started right something very early in the pro in the in the early phase in early days of the crash i could tell where we're heading again i didn't have the same confidence but some voice told me listen this is not going this is not going well i didn't know how to i just knew we are i am in a crisis some sort of a crisis mode early on And because that early on, what I decided to do and my income dropped because it was real estate related, early on I said, listen, the toxic properties, let them go, foreclosure, not pleasant, but I had to let few go. So I've been through foreclosure and getting rid of those properties. I'm glad that if I already ended up in in foreclosures, I did it early on and and not later on, like some of my other peers and colleagues that they came to that realization, maybe a year after me. So why did it, why did they waste? They waste a full year of payments, plus their, their setting down on the seven years of foreclosure clock started much longer or a, year, or a year later for them. So that kind of hurt them as well. So I started early on, I said, okay, this is the situation, I might deal with it. Or, or let me deal with it early on. And then I also made a promise to myself. And I said, you know, this was a pact I did with myself. I said, or oh, any client of mine that calls, emails, whatever, and those that were not fun, you know, calls at all, those all negative. That calls, I'm gonna, I'm gonna respond. I'm gonna answer. I'm gonna pick up the phone. I'm gonna talk to them. And I, t- I said, in times of crisis, this is where you shine. First of all, not if you disappear, you don't. You know, people will remember. So I said, I'm not gonna disappear now the conversations were not pleasant were they were complaining crying you know a, a very a, a very conversation of i don't know what to do but i said i'll be there as a shoulder i'll be there to vent out sometimes you know the kind of projected you know the problems on me that's okay too but along the same line i'm going to say listen let me give you some tips and ideas and suggestions how to do to deal with the situation why can i give you those tips and ideas and suggestions because i'm going through them myself and guess what? I spoke to someone else yesterday who told me he's doing this. How about you try and do that? So I was trying to channel that negativity into, into helping them, maybe learning from them something, putting them on, the, on on a positive path. And you know what? If it just came to, they need to vent out. I was the punching bag. And I I was completely ready for, for it. And I've done it Dur- during you know those calls, even I think lasted into two, 2011. This was not fun on a weekly basis to have those calls but they obviously uh they're they're gone by now and you know people are, actually sometimes people call me and say you know what? i remember you answered i remember you giving me suggestions and tips and what to do i really appreciate it you know uh you know they, they're reflecting back to to that point so um it's uh it, it's 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 a very challenging to navigate those those uh those times but they the crisis of 2008 taught me more than any, any other era about real estate investing. I had to dive deep into the details, deep, deep.
1: You seem to, and, and probably because you dive into the details, you seem to have a good grasp of market cycles. Where do you feel like we're heading now? <laughs> um,
0: like what does your gut tell you? Yeah, 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 I, I know what you mean. So first of all, I will admit, I don't have good grasp of market cycles. I don't think so. What I do think so, or what I've researched in the past, I noticed a couple of things. Uh, and that kind of blows my mind when people, when they're thinking, asking about investing, they neglect those those important items. First of all, major crashes lasted about a year and a half, maybe close to two. So when we talk about the 2008 crash and maybe the 1927 crash, they only lasted as a crash, or the longest one for maybe a year and a half. To two years, right? Not short, but that did not last forever. So that gives you a bit of a perspective, right? There is an end in sight. Okay, that's a good thing to have when you're going through um, through a crash personally or as, a, as an era. Um, what I've learned or taught myself or kind of my observation was, all right, I cannot time the market. I don't try to time the market because I can't. And what I, what I do know is that Statistically, every 10 years, there's, there's gonna be some sort of a downturn. A bigger one, a smaller one, a crash, it's gonna happen, right? So one of the things I started doing right after the 2008 crash, when I kind of rebuilt my systems and processes and everything is my, one of the core starting point about decision-making was the next one is coming. I don't know when, but I know it's coming. It's going to be two years, ten years—I don't know. So if I know, so instead of being intimidated of the next crash, I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to say it's coming. I just need to prepare for it because, you know, when it's comes, I want to be ready. What do you? What do I decided to do? A couple of things. For example, I buy quality properties and hold them for long terms. Long term. What will that happen? Just by buying quality and long term, you are inherently hedging against the next crash, right? So right there, simple decision. Although many people cannot really follow that small piece of advice, quality in long term, you know, you're just okay. I'm gonna ride the next crash. That's it. So right there, it makes it easier to overcome the next crash. Then I, I go into where to buy, what to buy, what kind of, you know, in metro wise, property wise, community wise, and all those many, many, many decisions are. Basing on the you know I want to be in, a, in, a, in, in in a metro in a community in a property that has the highest chances of surviving the next crash. it's coming let's let's make decision as if it's coming and that will enable me to ride the next crash when it comes no guarantees I'm just doing 20 decisions small decisions or medium-sized medium importance decisions. Each one of them is contributing to the risk reduction or the ability to survive the next one, you know, the next crash that will come. When, I don't know, but I'm getting ready for it. So that's since 2009-10, you know, it's kind of, it makes me, you know, I always, just hearing me talk about it now, 12 years later, it's kind of, oh, of course you've got to say that. I've been talking to my clients about this point and emphasizing and making decisions about investment properties for the past 12, 13 years. And the, the exactly knowing, waiting, anticipating, a crash will come. I just want to be able to be on the ability to survive it on the best possible way. Does it mean it's, going, it's not going to go down? No, it means that if there's a crash, and if it goes down, ideally my, my property or the metro I'm buying in will have the, le- the least impact or it will recover as quickly. That's kind of where I'm trying to, to, uh, to, uh, to pinpoint. I'm not trying to beat the crash, right? It's not gonna happen. I wanna ride it, you know, ride it or prepare for it. Be prepared in a way, just be prepared for it.
1: It will come. I wanna talk about how in the world you got to 5,000 <laughs> units in 20 years. So like, I'm just trying to calculate this, right? I mean, like a hundred a year is 2,000, 200 a year is 4,000, 250 a year is 5,000. So, I mean, we're talking somewhere in the ballpark of 200 and I know 5,000 is not an exact number, right? It's, it's a ballpark number. But for sake of argument, 250 sales a year for 20 years in a row. And obviously there are probably some years that had ups and downs. How, if someone was like, I wanna be like Danny, how does someone do 5,000 investment sales in 20 years? Uh, so, um, the 2004, five, six, seven,
0: maybe even eight, but maybe, maybe up to seven would really, really strong years. I mean, people were buying, like, I would be amazed, you know, okay, I'll take three, I'll take five, I'll take just like that. You know, no thing. Remember those were times where financing was super easy, right? Um, and I have had, I mean, I remember telling clients, listen, buy two. I had a guy who right off the bat, bought seven in Dallas. Right off the bat, that's no experience. I was like, wait, wait, hang on a second, right? I, I, I was the one to say, get to seven, but- Did you say it, 70? No, no, seven, seven zero. Oh, I was because like, seven holy, properties, okay. Seven properties right off the bat. So, and he, you know, he, th- that was not a good fit for him to do, to buy seven immediately. He didn't listen to my advice. To my advice, and that happens, but um, but it just shows you that there was a fr- there was a buyer's frenzy before the crash of two thousand and eight. So a majority of those purchases were done uh, a big portion during those uh, those years of um, you know before the crash. After the crash, I think everybody matured, and even the you know those who purchased quicker or faster. Um, uh, still did it like one or two at a time, one or two at a time, but I have clients I've been working with for 15 years and they're coming back for another and another and another, you know, over time they, they accumulate. Um, so a lot of my clients, they're, you know, they're almost on a, like on a buying machine, not you know, this guy that, you know, that, uh, that I one of my clients, a good friend. He came to me after a year of trying to do it by himself and always feeling lack of confidence to pull the trigger. That was three years ago, maybe two and a half, three years ago. Two and a half, three years later, he has, I think, seven properties, you know, seven or eight properties uh, that are 17 or 18 doors, right? And he tells me, like, Daniel, I probably would have gotten here, but the fact that I had you by my side accelerated, I was ready, and when I met you, it was just kind of the missing component to give me the confidence and push me a little bit
1: to execute. Kind of walk, I'm going to put a logic line out there and I want you to tell me if there's faults in the logic line. So you took an approach early on in your career where you chose getting slow, wealthy slowly and surely over trying to get wealth quickly. I'm assuming that's the same advice you're giving to your clients. And so if that's the same advice you're giving to your clients, then is it because you're giving them that advice, they're targeting, not small returns, but they're, they're targeting Like certain returns, like I'm just thinking, how does someone even have 5,000 houses to sell? (laughs) You know, like when you think about like the last five years, it's hard to like when investors come to me, they're like, hey, get me an investment house. I'm like, okay, you know, let me put you on the waiting list and we're waiting to find deals. You're just churning them out. So is that a result of different expectations? Walk me through the process.
0: So you touched on a really key, like key leading, you know, parameter in in my mental business you know, um, calibrate expectations. I start calibrating expectations of my clients about the process on the first conversation we're having. And I'm not, I, when I say calibrate expectations, I, I don't I don't tell them horror stories in the sense that I don't have many horror stories to share anyway. I just tell them, listen, you're gonna have, so you probably know or heard a lot of people talk about the passive income and real estate can be a passive income. I'm sorry, it's not, okay? sometimes yes it has to be really really specific buying a nice rental even with me with all my fancy systems and 5000 properties this is not buy and forget this is close to it but still require about an hour a half an hour a week or so from you to put into it on average right so it's not passive it's aspiring to be passive, but it's not a full-time job either, right? The way we design it design it, and try to set the system, it's not uh, something that it needs you to leave your job and do it full-time for even, even if you have 10 properties or more. So it's no passive, but that's something you need to understand. So I had clients that came to me five years ago. They sold it, you know, they're from Israel. They moved here. They sold a really expensive uh, uh, you know, penthouse in, in Tel Aviv they had money. They said we don't have time for it. I said you don't have time for it. This, I'm not the right guy for you, right? Right off the bat, they had a lot of money, no time, no time. I'm not, I'm not a good fit. Do something else and recommending them what to do. They came back a year later, no time still, but we want to do it. I'm not the guy, right? Go back. Three another year later, they came. Okay, now we're ready. We are okay. We get it. We understand the time, effort, or time commitment, and we have it. And they're very happy, right? And they bought few properties since. So. Calibrating expectation is super important throughout the different process. So my clients know what they're getting themselves into from very early on. And then I think, you know, the way I look at it when I work with my clients, I need to win them, to win them, you know, to get their appreciation for what the service we provide because they pay for it every time. So just because they bought a property for me, that doesn't mean they're gonna buy another one. So I need to make sure they're happy as much as possible and to get them back, you know, again and again. And I'll tell you one of the secrets I've learned for me in that you know, in, in, in winning that or getting that. So I tell my clients when you buy a property with us, we stay and support you if you want to post purchase. Post purchase is yours, right? So when you have issues with the management, with the rental, with the tenant we are going to be there and help you sort things out, solve things, consult with you. I'm not talking about selling and buying another, that's obvious. I'm just saying the ongoing years of all those frictions and miscommunication with the management and the problem here and the problem, that's the part of the real estate investor. It's gonna be, the noise in the system will happen. Eviction here and there, repairs, vacancy, everything. But I want you to know, Mr. Client, that when that happens, and if you feel that you cannot handle it yourself, or you're not sure, you call me up. I'll be there to help you, support you, guide you. And because we have a buying power with all the property management company, we are their biggest account by far. When I call the property management company that manages a thousand properties for all together, our clients are maybe 200 to 250 doors out of that thousand properties in one metro. The owner of the company call, picks up the phone and says. Yes, boss, what can I do for you? I'm not his boss, right? <laughs> you know what it means when someone tells you that. He says, what is the problem today? And I can help you solve it. That's, that's the way he answers the phone when I call him. We are obviously we've, we've on good terms. So when, when I need to support my client post-purchase, it's easier for me to do because of the buying power. But what I've learned is two things. One, I tell my clients, I'll be here to support you, right? I tell them. It's not re- written anywhere. It's in the conversation. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes someone calls me maybe two or three years after we last spoke, and they're surprised that I'm there to help them, and they're thanking me for helping them with the situation, it, although I told them I would be there. So why are you surprised if I told you? They're still surprised. It's just reality of human nature. They're surprised I'm there and really helping solve the problem. I, you know, so so that tells me. That that's the way I'm trying. I'm looking at winning the client back. Winning meaning getting him to feel comfortable with us. The second thing is when that situation happened with a problem with the tenant or the property or the property manager, and I'm there to help the client resolve it because they feel many times hopeless or helpless or you know lost, and I step in and help them solve it. They're very appreciative. What do you think happens when when you solve someone a problem? They're very literally. I'm getting off the phone and going to take care of it and I'm dismissing them from needing to do much about it. And the problem gets solved, maybe not immediately, but maybe we're putting things into a resolution that will take a week or two or three. What will happen to that person? He likes me more or he re-likes me all over again. Why? Because I was there, I told him. But that kinda create that bond that this person or this company is there when I need it? And they're not just talking about it. They're doing something about it, even if multiple years have passed. So that's kind of what I've mm-hmm. learned to use those support calls to kind of get reconnected and win that
1: person back. Win in the sense that, hey, I'll help you. Of course I will help you. Gladly. Not just because you've got to What partner. you were hoping to have with your contractors, right? That's what you were hoping for with your contractors on your flips. What I want to ask you now is what does... Danny's current real estate portfolio look like? And the reason that I ask you is, a lot of times when people think about the early strategy you talked about, which is get wealth slowly, it's like, oh, it's too hard, it's too long, you'll never get there, it seems too Dave Ramsey-like. But give us a sense of what does modern day Danny portfolio look like? Multiple properties,
0: multiple areas around the country. Some are um, um, you know, uh, mostly residential rentals, um, um i have liquidated few assets in the past two to three years to upgrade my life here which i'm uh i've done and i'm not happy with what i've done so i'm looking for another one and i live in an area that i need about uh a million and a half or so to purchase so that requires a lot of the the funds um i'm partnering with some um, uh, people on different investments so um it kind of you know it's. It's not dynamic that I buy and sell every month, but it, it kind of it never stays exactly the same, right? I made another offer on another one like two weeks ago. It didn't, you know, on a short sale. I haven't seen a short sale in, in years, in 10 years, right? So it didn't work out. Um, yeah. So it's kind of a little bit all over the place in multiple markets. I would say, except one little thing, it's all single family homes, single family homes.
1: You've had the benefit of living in Israel and living in America. What is a winning mindset or a winning thought process that exists in Israel that does not exist in America that you wish would come to, to America?
0: So what exists in Israel that doesn't uh, exist in America that would that I would wish would come over? That's yeah. what you mean? Like what are the Israelis? Yep, First exactly. of all, I don't know if you're aware of that, but a lot of Israelis are buying real estate in the US. I mean, a lot so of So many.
1: Hmm? so many so many so many yeah.
0: yeah okay so first of all you gotta understand that israel thinks that um america is its little sister let <laughs> put things in perspective There are not even 10 million people in israel and there are 350 million people here but in israel they look at america as their little sister that's just the perception right adore america adore the u.s but it's the little sister not the other way around right a lot of the israelis come here and they think they can bring the Israeli mentality and win with it. The Israeli mentality, as much as I'm brooding it, there's a lot of aggressiveness to it. There's a lot of directness to it, and when that comes with um, um, with uh, the language, people translating from Hebrew, both the words into English and the and the tone, because that's what they're used to, it hurts them many times, right? So, but we're not the one thing that really. Um, I think has with the Israelis that they, they have it here. They, they don't understand the word can be done, not the no can be done. So they're very good with creativity or questioning why someone is, is doing something in a certain way when they're not succeeding or doing it successfully but not in a in a way um, that they would have done it. You know, creatively. So the creative thinking, the creative asking questions, not accepting. It can be done that's very that's very much in the israeli dna and not as present here unfortunately so i think that's missing here i think that i see that sometimes my non-israelis investors you know who live here i have to tell them so the property manager told you what who said he's correct oh said it's your responsibility mm-hmm. it's your business to. so a lot of my time and attention is kind of retraining my own clients you know to kind of ask those difficult questions or not just, you know, they think the property manager is a is a professional that knows everything. He's a professional, but he doesn't know everything. So just because he told you one thing doesn't mean you need to, oh, okay, I'll take it. No. No, 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 no. Ask him another question. So that's where I'm very good with helping my clients because I know to ask those questions. Many times they don't. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I wish they would be a little bit more. It's not skepticism, it's more. Knowing to ask questions, more difficult, more deep questions to get to the bottom of things, and then get the, to the solution correctly.
1: If you had a billion dollars in the bank and a hundred lifetimes of cash flow, what would your life look like? How would it change? Um, you know, we have this
0: discussion, my wife and I. The biggest question here is, where is my life? I tend to, at that point to be in Israel because I want to be next to my family. I want to be to my, my long, long time friends. Uh, Cause that really fulfills my, my, my soul. I want my, my boy, I have one 10-year old boy. I want him to have that experience as well. Um, so I think it would be uh, me living in Israel uh, in a place that uh, we are, I already know where in Israel, a specific place that ain't cheap. Um, but every year coming for the summer and spending the summer here you know with our friends here uh, me traveling you know the you know traveling with my colleagues so i would i would probably still work you know i would probably still do what i do because i just enjoy it i, I you know every time i speak with a new client uh, i've done it more than 20,000 one-on-one introduction conversations by now uh, over those 20 years so i never feel like oh another one i don't i don't have uh, energy for it Never. So that tells me when I'm taking the next introduction meeting with a new client for the first time speaking, I'm okay. I'm, my energy level is, is the right place. I feel good about it. So it tells me I'm in the right place altogether. Um, so, but I think I would be more in Israel, spending more of my time in Israel, but still coming and benefiting from uh, the social circles that we build here over the years. The enjoyment. I when i became a us citizen and i was sworn in you know when president obama was the president i th- i went there thinking oh i got to do i have to, i have to do this it's a chore i was emotional i like why am i so emotional it, it's something that it's so and i realized i'm so emotional with tears when i'm thinking i'm being sworn in as a citizen is because i am so appreciative for the opportunity Yes, I moved myself here, but this country embraced me, gave me opportunities, you know, never shut the door at my face, right? So that for me was like it was like it was the getting the citizenship was like embodying all those uh, those uh, virtues or good things this country gave me, and it kind of brought them to that uh, situation. So I got really emotional. I thought oh, okay, I'm going to go and swear and go back home to my day, my busy day. Mm-mm.
1: It didn't, it didn't work as planned in a good way, in a very good way. What are you up to the next 12 to 18 months? What does your vision look like for your life and business? Um, so life-wise, I'll start with life-wise. Uh, in the past year,
0: uh, year, year plus, I started training more, getting more, uh, you, you know, uh, I feel like I'm uh, physically anti-aging uh, for the type of training, and I keep doing more, actually. My trainer is coming in in one hour. Should be here in one hour. So I just want to do more. It feels my. It's good for my fitness, my physique, my soul, everything. So I love it. I just want to do more of it. Uh, get better fit. Um, I am already on a path of spending more time with my family. Uh, more relaxed. Weekends are packed with social activity. Every weekend has to have at least two to social activities with friends or, or, you know, like there's always something going on. That's good for the soul. Mostly feed my soul with 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 friends and, and fun and enjoyment. Um, when it comes to business, I can tell you that I've been challenging myself. What, like, oh, it never stops. What else can I offer my clients to do better? I want to improve the services. I want to increase the returns. I want to do uh, more for them. Right now, I I decided to circle back to an idea. So we keep doing, I don't do flips. I do long-term rentals. That's like the machine that works all the time. In that world of rentals, for many years, I stayed away from putting groups of, small groups of investors together to buy one or two or few rentals, like like small syndications for different reasons. It's always been uh, um, something that I didn't enjoy overseeing or managing the relationship herding cats once we purchase so that was when i've done it in the past that was my uh achilles heel of dealing with that i now had an idea i'm working on it how to incorporate a professional asset manager that will be uh involved post-purchase and will take you know like i use property manager it will be an asset manager that will coordinate and be accountable for all the efforts so this Past two weeks of already being I finding the asset managers, starting to put things into place. So the, the traditional rentals are moving forward. The new program that's coming out, this is the first time I'm talking about it, is those small groups of investors, because I've been asked about them quite a bit. People that don't want to, you know, want to be even more passive or don't have enough funds to buy by themselves or whatever reason so i've been pushing it away pushing it away and about two weeks ago i had this idea of instead of me doing it bringing the asset manager now we're putting all the nuts and bolts of that's the new program that's coming up i think in the next weeks or so uh working at it as we speak Uh, that's the new thing Uh, maybe adding a few more metros one or two more metros to our mix we are active in probably four active metros and four inactive metros. I think it's about time maybe to add another one or two. Um, and I see that we're doing more and more, we're learning more and more how to get more accomplish or better return with the fourplexes, threeplexes, but mainly fourplexes. Something that for years I didn't touch in the past three, four years, I'm starting to see all the kinks and where the opportunities with those uh, properties and there's a lot of appetite for them for my clients so that seems to be um another kind of kind of hybrid product that, that's uh, emerging already happening we're already doing it but i can see more more how to overcome the kinks again the kinks a lot of the overcoming is calibrating the expectation what's going to happen
1: yeah Danny Bator, thank you so much for sharing about how you got to 5,000 units, how you're doing the metros, where you're going, your past, where you've lived, all these types of things. There's so much to learn from this, like including like the fact that you're not fixated on getting rich quickly, right? Which is a, it's a message that's not being pitched around a lot right now, but might become more pertinent in this recession. So guys, if you're listening, write something down that you learn that you can take action on, share it with somebody that you know, so they can hold you accountable because freedom is acquired one action at a time. And as you take step-by-step, step, you move in the direction of freedom. And before you know it, you're going to be living your life with freedom and purpose. Thank you guys for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next episode.